Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Have you ever used travel as a healing tool, as a way to heal either mentally or physically or perhaps both. That's a topic we're going to dive deep on today. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Plus, what happens when you feel like you're not in the country you're supposed to be living in, and that's your home country? One listener shares his story, and we're kicking off a new theme month today. The next four episodes coming up are gonna be dedicated to four-wheel wandering, talking about traveling in RVs, in vans, the hashtag van life world, and what it's like to live that lifestyle and sleep in your vehicle and travel around in that way. Of course, yeah, I guess some RVs have more than four wheels, but you get the idea. Wandering on wheels is the theme this month, and today we got our first episode. It's all happening right now, so buckle up. Turn up the radio. Clean off the windshield if you need to. You can push that thing and the water comes up and then it wipes it clean. You know, whatever, whatever your routine is, get settled in. Thanks for being here today. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending some time with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thanks for being a part of this Zero to Travel caravan, this listening community. What a beautiful bunch of souls you all are. I've been getting so many nice emails lately, and I so appreciate when people check in. You can check in anytime, and I'll be sharing one of those emails at the end of the show after the interview. Somebody wrote me talking about what it's like when you feel like you're in a country that you're not meant to be living in and how that came about. So we'll share his story, have a little chat on that. And as you heard at the top of the show, this is four-wheel wandering month talking about traveling around in vehicles and a variety of topics coming up. It's not just about the lifestyle, but for example, today's show is about using travel as a way to heal. And my guest has been living in his van, moved into his van actually because of some health issues and wanted to switch things up for reasons you'll hear in the interview and how that's helped him mentally and physically and maybe how that's not helped him. And you're going to get some of 
the behind the scenes perspectives of one individual living that hashtag van life. If you go on Instagram, you know that's a really popular thing to search and to post uh, people living in vans and and in some ways, I would say glamorizing it. Of course, it's always nice to have those epic shots with the the camper van and the beautiful ocean in the background or whatever the case is. But what are some of the stories behind that lifestyle? What is it really like to live that lifestyle? That's something we're going to explore in this series this month, but also much more. I mean, I talked to a couple that has camper vaned around New Zealand recently, which is one of my dreams. So we're going to get tips on that in another show and hear what that's like. Talk to my buddy Travis, and he's got a crazy story about living a travel dream that he was able to to do recently that involves a van. So you're going to hear that story. And another gentleman whose story I read about on Facebook, and I immediately said, I have to talk to this guy because he's doing something very interesting to earn money while he travels in his van and it's busking, but it's not what you think. He's not playing music or anything like that. He's helping people in in a specific way. And that was a really interesting conversation that is also coming up this month. So you're going to love it. Four-wheel wandering. It's happening right now. Who doesn't love a good road trip? What is better than those first few moments of a road trip when you have the entire trip ahead of you and you put your key into the ignition, you turn it and you hear the engine going and you put on your favorite song on the radio and you crank it up and you're off and running and all the adventures are waiting for you on the open road. Love that feeling. Absolutely love that feeling. Miss it. You can tell I miss a good road trip. I don't have a car here where I'm living in Norway. It's been a while since I've been on a good road trip. So I'm I'm getting antsy. I'm getting ready for a road trip. And this series, recording this series certainly... (laughs) hasn't helped that. It's only made me a little more wanderlusty for four-wheel wandering. Before we get into today's interview, I want to quickly thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. If you want to find the perfect backpack for chucking in your trunk on a road trip or traveling for a year around the world, go check out the bags I recommend. They actually just sent me the new Tortuga Setout Divide, which is a smaller backpack meant for more weekend trips and I'm digging it so far. It's got a lot of features that make it very flexible for shorter trips and it has the hip belt and all that support type stuff. But if you want to take that off and go a little more minimal, you can do that. So there's ways to adjust the bag more towards uh, your your shorter trips. And that's one thing I love about Tortuga. They're really getting intentional behind the types of bags they design and what specifically they are for. So I use the Tortuga Outbreaker for my longer trips, anywhere from three weeks to three months to a year. That's my go-to. And then their day pack. And also, now that I've seen this set out divide, I'm going to try that on my next shorter trip because I think it's going to be a great option for shorter trips, like you know, a couple days away for a weekend or a road trip where you're just traveling for a few days or whatever. So anyway, you can get 10% off by going to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga and entering the promo code travel when you check out. So if you're tired of doing a bunch of research on backpacks and you just want to find awesome backpacks for your next trip or for a friend or whatever, get 10% off with the promo code travel, just the word travel when you check out zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, promo code travel, and you get 10% off anything. And thanks to them for supporting this podcast and being a part of the community here. I really appreciate 
that they offer this discount code to listeners here. So thanks to them. And if you decide to pick anything up over there, you're also supporting this show. And I thank you very much for your support uh, of my work. Thanks so much. Okay, on the back end of this interview, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about this question of what it's like if you feel like you're living in a country that you don't belong in and how that came about for one listener. And we can just share some thoughts on that. Now, enjoy listening in on our chat, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Hello? Jeff, hey, it's Jason. Hey, man, how's it going? (laughs) Good, how are you? I should let you know we're, (laughs) we're recording right now. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> uh, that was expected. <laughs> yeah, I was glad it, it actually went through because uh, I think I just tried to call you and then you told me it was you were having a classic travel moment where the signal dropped, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, in the, I'm in Teton National Park right now and um, was driving along and I knew, you know, we were expecting to have a call and I was like, all right, I have full bars, great. I'm right next to Signal Mountain, which has a cell tower on it. And I'm driving along, and I find, like, a nice pull-out in a shady spot. And as soon as I pull in, I look at my phone, no signal. I'm like, ah, start <laughs> Yeah, not only a nice pull-out, but a shady spot. That's key, too, right? But a shady spot. <laughs> that, is, that is key right now because it's, like, 80 degrees or, like, 90 degrees. I don't know. It's hot. Uh, so, yeah. Man. And I don't, have, I don't have a fan running yet. I have a vent, but I don't have a fan. So it gets uh, it gets warm pretty quickly. So I drove around like half a mile this way, half a mile the other way, and finally found a spot. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for making the time to do it. I love that national park. It's been many years since I've been there, but it's the mountains there are so dramatic. There's no other way to describe it. Well, so where I'm sitting, I'm in kind of a random pull off. I think there's a little hiking trail, but I can see most of the Tetons from where I am, and yeah, they just. You know, it's flat and then straight up. <laughs> you mentioned hiking, and you, you may recognize Jeff's voice if you've dug deep into the archives. We actually recorded a podcast together <laughs> in March 2014. I went and looked this up. It was all about Jeff's trip hiking the Appalachian Trail with zero experience, which at the time you had, I don't think you had been camping even before you went hiking the Appalachian Trail or you had very limited experience. So that's an awesome podcast if you want to go here. I wish we were doing this one in person as well. I was really gunning for that, but I couldn't wait any longer because I don't know (laughs) when we're going to cross paths again because now you're doing this hashtag van life thing. You've been doing it for eight months now. I call it hashtag van life just because that seems to be the thing everybody knows. (laughs) But I mean, is there... Is there more a different term I should be using? I don't know. No, no, no. Hashtag van life is it. It's just my intention right now is on expanding what hashtag van life means. We can go into that a little bit later, but but hashtag van life is is the appropriate appropriate term. I had thought I bought a van. I thought I procured a van many years ago before any of the social media stuff, and um, I ended up falling through. So I had this this hashtag van life dream for a long time. And now it's interesting because when you would say to people 15 years ago, oh, I want to go live in this van and just travel around or whatever, they looked at you like you were crazy. And now yeah. it's 
it, almost like, oh, you're you're my hero. You're going to travel in a van and <laughs> you're dropping out of society in some way. Well, I mean, we can get into it now. Like, what do you mean by that? That you're trying to expand what hashtag van life means? The actual hashtag van life started on Instagram has kind of had an evolution. My understanding, at least, one of the guy the guy who started it on Instagram or started making it popular. It started as the foibles of traveling. So like sitting in a Walmart parking lot, cooking your dinner, like, or um, clipping your toenails or finding, finding the elusive single, single stall restrooms to where you can have your own privacy and like wash up in the sink. That's where hashtag van life started. It has since then evolved into this kind of, beautiful women in beautiful places shot out of the back of a van and just like, you know, the, the beauty of traveling, which there are moments like that as well, as you're saying, kind of hashtag van life has been, has been transformed from, yeah, you're like a single guy, like down by the river in a van to, Oh, wow. You're doing this amazing thing where you're traveling full time. Uh, you're living on the road and, and having this adventure and and now it's it's kind of become the hashtag at least has become a little bit polished I guess it's like the filters on Instagram made to be made to look pretty and then kind of not talking about the reality which is there are both exquisite and stunning and beautiful moments as well as moments where yeah you're like parked on some random spot on the side of the road and cars and trucks are whizzing by and. And, uh, and just like a couple of days ago, you spend pretty much the entire day looking for a good site to be at. And because you're around the national park and it's around the holiday, um, with the 4th of July and then the weekend that there's just no spots. And so you're just driving for hours on end, trying to find a place to be. <laughs> and then you're like turning around in a switchback like I was. And then there was a ditch that came out of nowhere and oh, I like man. smacked my exhaust. And so it did, and I was able to get out, but it was just like, you know, just the, there's a couple of frustrating days in traveling at times. And then, you know, the next morning I drive over to Coulter Bay here in the Tetons and, and find like a little bit of section of this private beach area and, and have this most amazing swim, like in the clear, majestic waters of the Tetons. So, <laughs> well, this is the extremes of travel, right? This is part of the reason why we do it, because you're going from, well, like you described, from toenails to uh, <laughs> epic swims in pristine waters, or or whatever the case is, and it it is kind of a tale of two extremes in that way, life on the road, right? Yeah, definitely. That's the beauty of it. It's just that you're closer to that that experience. Why do you think you're closer to it? Just because it's it's so visceral because you're living it every day and, and it's more you're more aware as an individual or in many ways, you know, I I've mentioned to you before, the van life is kind of a, a reverberation of my time on the AT. It's a it's an echo of sorts. And on the AT, right, you're living out of a backpack and you're in nature and you're, 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 you know, whatever the weather is, you're going to experience it. And you're kind of at the whim of other people in some ways when you're hitching rides into town. The van life is not quite that far, but it's a step in that direction. Um, and I think far closer to hiking than it is living in a house. 
And so you, you're experiencing the elements, you're experiencing whether the mosquitoes are crazy, you're experiencing being in your environment in a less controlled way than you would in, you know, in a house or, a, or an apartment. Can you just recap for people that haven't heard of the AT? Because I mentioned the Appalachian Trail in the beginning, but just so they know what it is that you did. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Appalachian Trail is a 2,160-ish mile um, trail that goes from Georgia to Maine. In 2006 and 2007, I did the full length. So that's called the through hike. And um, over 10 months of being on trail, um, I lived out of a backpack and hiked and did a lot of walking, I guess. Well, I, you know, that's a lot of years in between when you finish that and what you're doing now or what you've been doing for the last eight months. And by the way, I specifically wanted to talk to you not only because of who you are as an individual and, and, and just, I know the things that you post on, on Facebook and different things, and I love what you share and how you share the experience that you're having. And, and I want to get into some of the reasons why you're having this experience. And it's, I don't want to say, hey, let's, uh, let's recap your life between those years and how you went from here to here. <laughs> but you know, in some ways, I do want to kind of understand what happened with you between the AT and this experience. Like, What kind of drove you to now pursue this echo, as you call it? Yeah. Um, and I had, echo isn't quite the right word. I'm still trying to think of what it would be, but I know what you're um, saying though. It's, it's like, a yeah, I wouldn't know what the right word is either. Not a spinoff. That would be terrible. It's, it's a spinoff of the AT. <laughs> but it's some kind of, it's in the same spirit in, in many ways. Yeah. It's definitely a brother. To the, to the there you go. A sibling. Yeah. So I don't know, 10 years. What I do, I moved to Boulder um I, and it was living which is there where we, we met uh, <laughs> which is where we met uh randomly when i was giving a presentation at rei <laughs> you met me because i spoke but i never met you in that moment then we met later on and you're like oh i heard you speak um <laughs> which i thought was a funny part of the story yeah there's just a lot of random jobs in there for a while where it's projectionist and photography and still working for backpacker uh here and there and then um, the most recent, I think it's like five, six years, 2012, I can't believe it was so long ago, I started a software company called Control Console, and we create interfaces um, for programs like Lightroom and Final Cut to make them more intuitive. So for the past five, six years, I've been in the kind of startup world, which is a very different world than the world I was traveling beforehand. And after kind of what are five, six years I was doing that, I was living that like startup life. You know, I'd raise some money. I bought a new car. I was living in a nice apartment, you know, and like not living in a house with four other people. I was living in a house with like two people and then one person that last year, just myself, just last year. And then just kind of living that like quote unquote grown up lifestyle, mid thirties lifestyle you know, CEO of a, and founder of a startup and then was also getting totally burnt out um, by working mostly on this, this company by myself. Hold on a second. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. So the woman just 
just said a grizzly and two cubs just walked by across the road. Oh, well, maybe you need to hold on and go check that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> the things that are sacrificed for this podcast. <laughs> if I do see the grizzly with cubs. You have to bail. There's no question. <laughs> I can call you back. <laughs> no, no, we'll just do a live uh, live recording of me approaching a grizzly with two cubs. Even better. <laughs> Hopefully it will not be the last word. <laughs> but yeah, and there's still a lot of things about the startup world and what I was doing in particular that that I loved and that I, that I still love. I believed in what we're doing and the value we were creating in terms of helping empower people to be more creative. I was and still am incredibly passionate about that. It was the, the part of it that was frustrating was not being able to put together a team that could um, carry it forward. So I think one of the things we talked about last time and we'll get into today is is I still have um, chronic fatigue syndrome, also called ME, or myalgic encephalomyelitis. And so running a company solo, you know, even though I'm hiring contractors, was just always going to be a time-limited function. Uh, I needed that team to kind of be there day-to-day because I'm not always going to be there day-to-day. So it was kind of like, all right, in the beginning, I I started outsourcing all kinds of shit. So I uh, I don't know. Can I curse on this? Go, go for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So like I stopped doing all the things that I did for fun. I stopped climbing. I stopped mountain biking. Um, I I love cooking. I stopped cooking for myself. I I hired my friend to cook for for me, so that I can put all the effort I had into uh into this company that i knew would require more than i could put in um but it would require all that i could put in to get it off the ground and so you know i ran a kickstarter campaign raised money there hired developers built the product you know and got through all these steps with me the only person in the company and hiring contractors but knowing that i needed to hire other people to be you know consistently in the company um to help to help make it into what I envisioned. And that's where I struggled. Yeah, so it was kind of a process of being more and more tired, really, than anything, than any kind of criticism about the startup world. Well, this leads into a big factor for the trip, right? For you, which is this chronic fatigue syndrome that you've been battling for your whole life, right? Can you talk about what it is so people can understand? And I really want to get into this because... This is a huge part of what you're doing, correct? I'd say around half of the reason of, of van life for me. I was diagnosed in 2000. I had symptoms a little a few years before that, um, which was um, middle school for me. 2000 was high school. First symptoms were in middle school. And there's kind of a variety of symptoms, but the primary ones are fatigue and and I think this word needs qualification because it's not like, oh, I'm kind of tired at the end of the day or, um, you know, I just need to, like, take a break or go on a vacation or whatever. For me, it's, it kind of doesn't really matter how much I rest. I will still wake up as if, you know, many days and not every day is like this kind of ebbs and flows. 
but there are days where I wake up and it's already like I've hit the wall and I've just been sleeping for like 10, 11 hours. You know, one of the things I would notice if I was driving that I could barely keep my body upright, I'd be like hunching over and like supporting myself with the steering wheel. So it was just, it was like there was no energy in the tank. So fatigue is like the different word than, than I guess it's used, you know, colloquially um, in this sense. Um, there's other symptoms like um, dysautonomia, which is a dysfunctioning of your autonomic systems, which means, for example, when people go from laying down to standing up or laying down to sitting up and then standing, their body's doing all these things to adapt to that, right? So if it didn't do anything, your blood would just drain from your brain and like pull in your legs and you'd faint. And people do. Um, that's kind of that sensation of getting up too quickly. Well, for normal people where that's relatively rare, for me, that's kind of a constant feeling. My body isn't responding correctly to being upright, and which means I'm draining my brain of blood fairly often, which is not doing well for, doesn't do well for my cognition. And, you know, my brain's just not happy when it's kind of slightly deprived of blood and oxygen. So, yeah, and there's that. And then I get these ulcers in my mouth, which are supposedly related to an autoimmune disease. But none of this stuff is, um, the research behind it is just not well-funded. And so there's still a lot of mystery around causes of, of ME. And one of the newer theories or newer things that people are trying, which was related to me in van life, is extreme mold avoidance, um, where being in places indoor or potentially outdoor in certain areas where mold is causing a lot of these symptoms, um, just an extreme sensitivity to it. Can you just explain a day when, what it's like when you wake up and you feel this fatigue? How does that typical day go? So a bad day for me would be, you know, I'd probably first wake up, um, around 11. I would be awake in the sense my eyes would be open, but my brain would be really foggy. It'd be like, I don't know, just like I'm living in this haze where I can't really put my thoughts together. And, and it's a time where I'm awake, but my body has, I can already sense that my body is not going to respond while I'm getting up. I already feel lightheaded, even laying down. And so I'll continue to lay down for hours. And this time, Either I'm just like laying there and thinking and kind of dozing in and out, or I'll pull out stupid, stupid videos on YouTube and watch those. And that can go on for many hours. So, so a bad day, I'll be doing that till 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. even some days. And just like laying there and kind of dozing and feeling kind of out of control of my, my sleepiness or whether I'm awake or not. And then all this time, you know, from probably midnight the night before, haven't got up to pee, haven't got up to eat or drink anything. And then, you know, 5 or 7 p.m. on these bad days, I'll get up and I'll finally you know, be able to go to the bathroom um, and eat. And, and days like that, it's usually a, a success of eating at least one meal, one good meal in that day. But some days, yeah, there's been days where I didn't eat anything for an entire day. So part of of the van life thing was this mold avoidance technique extreme mold avoidance i think you called it the idea being that you would 
just basically relocate yourself to super dry climates and be outdoors most of the time? Was that? Well, part of it is getting away from all of your previous belongings. So everything minus a couple of items is um, all new to me and all, all new. You know, I, I moved into a place in an apartment that was supposed to be safe. It was tested and, you know, it spent $300 on this test. But then I brought my stuff and my stuff may be also contaminated and contaminate me. So the next step was to get rid of everything, put some of it in storage and start over, you know, like literally start over with I brought my phone and a camera and computer. But uh, even then, those were risky things to carry forward into this new life. Yeah. And then to be outside as much as possible, not be in buildings as uh, as little as possible um, and also avoid certain towns and areas where people report not feeling as well. Um, and just kind of going around the country trying to find a place where you feel better. How is this working out for you so far in terms of the healing? It's kind of hit or miss. So, for example, with that, that dysautonomia symptom, normally I wear calf compression. And I kind of feel like I have to when I'm feeling that dizzy. I'm like, all right, well, I need to like try to function. So I'll wear calf compression. That helps with um, that feeling of being lightheaded. And when I feel better, as I'm as I am right now, I'm not wearing that cough compression because I don't feel like I need to. I don't feel I didn't wake up lightheaded. I woke up fairly clear minded and 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 I didn't have any trouble standing up. So that's good. Um, but there is sections. So when I was back in Boulder and Boulder, I suspect it's not so good for me. I felt terrible. I was getting ulcers. And my symptoms were all cropping up. I was fatigued and brain fogged and had to wear calf compression. What about on the mental side? I do have moments of clarity where I can write, you know, for example, a lot of my creative endeavors right now is in, in my Instagram posts and photography and the writing that goes with it. And um, the photography comes pretty natural to me. That's, that's an area that I can still access easily, even if I'm not feeling that great. Um, but the writing that I've been trying to inject and create meaning, create more meaning in, beyond the, the photo, that comes and goes. Um, right now, I'm trying to think of a, a post, and I'm struggling with it. So, so I get moments just like, yeah, just like the other symptoms. I'll have moments of clarity and other times moments of, of fogginess. Yeah, I'm just wondering how you stay positive and, and how maybe travel plays into that or doesn't play into that. The way other people with this illness or similar illnesses talk about it is that uh, when they're in, in what they claim to be a mold exposure, um, they find that they're much more anxious, that they're much more on edge in that way. I still have some skepticism around whether it's mold or something else or it's just changes in your own body. but my anxiety about it kind of goes up and down along with the symptoms and in many ways in conjunction with those symptoms. So for example, like I have this Patagonia backpack that I love. It's purple with teal accents that came from my previous life. And I was looking at day packs. And I was like, I don't really want to spend $80 on a new day pack. And especially I was, just wasn't finding one that I liked. And so I finally was like, oh, I'll just wash the Patagonia bag. I'll do this like, washing protocol, and then hope. When I'm not well, 
that's when my mind starts to spin. Oh, did I ruin this whole like experiment by bringing my backpack into this? Did I ruin it because I brought my computer? Oh, I went into that building, but I didn't shower afterwards. So then am I like contaminating my sleeping bag, which then is like supposed to be my, I need to be keep as clean as possible. And, and so there's like, there's no way to do this whole extreme mold avoidance perfectly, especially if you're trying to live a life that's not like you're, you're just going to be in the desert by yourself uh, in a tent and somehow people bring you food to resupply. Like if you're actually trying to live and explore, you kind of go into buildings or, or if you're trying to interact with people, like I, there's other people with vans I've been hanging out with lately. I went to a van life meetup and spending a lot of time with um, other van lifers and I go into their van and they're not doing all these protocols because why would they? Um, and then am I, you know, putting myself at risk by doing that? Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's like you said, you don't live in a bubble. You're trying to have this experience at the same time. This is a really tricky balance i'm sure for you sometimes it is yeah and it it requires a lot of compromise so so the other thing about you know this transition into van life for me was um was health related but in a way that was um unsuspecting for me or uh, unexpected was because i i was seeing this rheumatologist he said there was this new drug that was in phase two trials um the year before i started van life and it was actually a, a a large contributor to me making this decision was this drug was supposed to help. I was on it for like nine months or something. Um, but in that period, I was noticing I was getting more and more depressed towards and towards the end, I was starting to have suicidal ideation and having a background in psychology. And I was seeing a therapist throughout this time anyways, just as a general support, I was noticing this and I had awareness kind of, you know, I was in it, but I was also noticing it. And then very intentionally, I took it as an opportunity to feel into the things of how difficult having chronic illness is. And earlier, you said something about, you know, it's all these things you did in despite illness. That's one of the stories that changed over this time period was recognizing that all the things I've done, hiked the Appalachian Trail, changed my major, do van life, is not doing it just despite of illness, it's doing it because of illness. The illness has actually been a catalyst for a lot of these things I've done because it made me feel that life was short, that life was precious, that I wanted to take risks in, you know, in my heart with women and, and relationships and take risks in my life to to live. And so this idea of you know, yeah, there's extreme mold avoidance and uh, and that may make me feel better. Also, that that period of going through deep depression and starting to be uh, have suicidal thoughts, I realized I need to make this life worth living. Like I'm not just I can't just be in my apartment, you know, where I was partially bedridden, mostly homebound and working on my startup. And even though I was passionate about what it was that wasn't enough, you know, where I'd given up all the things that I enjoyed um, outside of startup to, to just do this one thing and, and, and having that experience with this drug that was supposed to help and it wasn't, but it's causing this other side effect. I needed to make a life worth living and I need to figure that out, you know, sooner rather than later. So the turnaround between 
kind of deciding that startup was not working out and transitioning to and thinking about van life was just a couple of months um, of like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy a van. I'm going to like figure it out and, you know, sell all my belongings and hit the road. I think one of the things that can be scary is the unpredictability of travel. Like you mentioned, you might not be able to find a spot uh, to sleep in or, you know, maybe you're, you're parked somewhere you think you're okay. And then someone says, oh, you got to move. You can't be here. What do you do if you're having a bad day? How do you, what do you do? Um, I don't know. You, you pull it together. <laughs> I mean, so, so I was trying to find another campsite, really struggling with that find a place that uh, what I thought was in national forest and, uh, and I wake up and I was like laying there for a while and in this kind of, I needed to rest mode. And all of a sudden I hear an ATV pull up and like shut, you know, turn off right near me. And I see like hear a banging of like a metal spike and then some like fussing around and then he leaves and I'm like, I'm just going to lay, I'm laying on the floor. So it's hard to see me. Um, from looking in the van. And so then after that ATV leaves, I get up and I look out my window and all of a sudden now there's a new no camping sign. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Wow. Right there they decided to put up the sign that night. That's that's funny. No, they put up the sign because I was there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. And I'm like, all right, well, he didn't knock on, like, there was no note. I didn't get a fine or anything. So, so all things considered, it was, it was all right. And I, and then I, I didn't, hadn't eaten yet, but I was like, oh, I'm just going to get in the van and, and leave. And then, and then I'll find a place to pull over and, and make food. There, there is a certain amount of just having to pull it together and to deal with, deal with the situation. And then there's times where you can't. And then you're just like, all right, well, this is it. In the past few days where I've been kind of having these difficult uh, traveling experiences, finding a place to camp, um, I, you know, for me, my my spirituality comes into play here because as a Buddhist, you think everything is, the, the idea is that everything is impermanent and that everything, both positive and negative, will pass, you know. And so, so I definitely kind of dipped into that of, yeah, this is frustrating. I'm going to feel how frustrating this is, that I'm tired and I just want a place to, you know, where no one's going to bother me, a nice, pretty spot where there aren't tons of mosquitoes that are somehow getting into the van, even though everything is shut. And you go through those experiences as, as difficult as they may be and just also remind yourself, this is temporary that these moments, whether, you know, being as difficult as they may be, they're going to pass. Um, and, and I think that allows you when you're holding, you're not holding too tightly onto that struggle or that, that, that difficulty that allows you, because then, you know, I got up, um, after they pounded in that no camping sign, I was kind of tired. I went and, you know, I end up finding and going back to this amazing swimming spot and just, you know, sitting on the rocks there that are hot from the sun and the water was cool. And just in this perfect kind of quiet moment and just thinking, wow, like I wish I could just spend eternity here in this moment. Um, I think, I think when you, when you can take a view that 
yeah, these difficult things will pass that allows you to be open to um, a positive one coming by. Hmm. Can I read something you wrote on Instagram that this story you just told reminds me of? Sure. It actually was. I have no idea what you're It was on Facebook. (laughs) Well, it was the second part of something you wrote, but you said, and now I sit here on this beautiful spring evening, a warm breeze blowing gently across my face, the sky exploding in color, then fading, fading, fading into darkness. This is life. Love and loss, beauty and darkness, joy and pain, reminding myself to let it move me, let it crack open the shell of my heart, let it pierce my tender flesh and pour forth, gushing in the fullness of humanity. Because if I do, it's a chance to touch the divine. And that gave me chills. I really love that. And I think what you were saying there, you know, kind of the the two extremes, right? And what you talk about there to joy and pain, beauty and darkness, and we already talked about how you experience those extremes on the road. But I wanted to dive in a little bit on on that quote because you said it's a chance to touch the divine. What do you mean by that? How does your spirituality play into everything that you're doing? And, and how has that changed since you've gone on the road? Thank you for reading my quote. I'm, I'm now very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it was really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a difficult day because since then my friend was battling cancer and since then she passed away um and and so that that sunset was the result of fires that were going on in south um southwest colorado and so it, it just felt like this culmination of Here's, you know, here's this beautiful sunset, but it's caused by this destruction and fire in a forest. And, and here I am experiencing this moment of beauty and also at the same time feeling kind of lost and like not sure where to be and what to be doing right now. I don't believe in in a God as an entity. Um, I believe in God as in the mystery. So this, this idea of divinity is is kind of recognizing what what I see as the truth, which is, you know, we are uh, as human beings, this kind of unexpected, miraculous collection of bits that form our body and form our 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 identity and conscience, and that being a part of um, this larger thing and called the you know this larger thing. God or the universe or the, or the mysterious. And so I'm very scientific oriented. And, and I was listening to this podcast recently, and they were talking about how we've gone through these kind of multiple phases in science where we, we used to believe that everything in the universe, we looked at it from this perspective of stuff, of objects, whether it's atoms, you know, protons, neutrons, and electrons, or um, chemicals or elements. You know, we looked at the world as, as this collection of stuff, of matter. And then we started to recognize, well, actually, all that matter also has uh, energy to it. A light particle, for example, is both a proton, a physical object, as well as a wave, which is kind of its energetic um, expression. And, and, it, and they're both one and the same. So they're both an object and an energy. So their science went to this period of, Oh, well, everything's energy, right? You hear this in kind of new age circles too, where, oh yeah, everything's energy. So whatever energy you put out in the world is what you'll get. Not so much a believer in that um, personally, but 
the next wave with quantum mechanics is this idea is everything is interaction. So it's all, it's not about the electron as an object, but as electron as a interaction between observation of it and, and what it is um, or where it is. And, and that's, it gets complicated and I don't even fully understand it, but this idea that our identities are who we are is in relationship to the world at large. It's in relationship to, you know, our family, the people we grew up, it's in relationship to culture um, the culture we have grown up and the culture we will experience as humans. So this endeavor for me of van life is about noticing the in-between, noticing the relationships, noticing um, the, how connected we are as beings in this universe. It's not as much about the van itself. It's about this embracing of our humanity and that's that's where i'm wanting to really explore and that's where you know these instagram posts or facebook posts is trying to to go toward this focus on humanity that you just mentioned and what what it means to you and what it means to be human has that awareness been heightened since you've been on the road or has that been um something that you've always practiced with your spirituality but now it's it's your main focus so it's becoming more i mean i guess i should stop trying to guess and just ask you what what <laughs> what's the deal with that <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it's funny that you use the word rebirth that's very much the experience of of family of, of this moment i'm in in my life prior to rebirth, right, is a death. And the process that I was in, you know, with that drug that was causing depression and, and working with this therapist, that's how she would describe it too. She, she, she's more of an intuitive therapist and she was intuiting that I was going through this death process, through this experience with that drug, through, you know, realizing that yeah, this life that I was living with the nice apartment, startup CEO, blah, blah, wasn't fulfilling in the way I needed it to be. And then, you know, with the mold avoidance and trying to get rid of everything and start over, felt like a death. And I allowed, as a process, I allowed myself to feel that. And this is, I think, where this idea of embracing my humanity and exploring humanity it was definitely a scary time. I was like, I don't know what my life is going to be. I don't know what, you know, being on the road is going to mean. You know, am I ever going to find a partner like living out of a van? Because I deeply long for that. You know, before this rebirth was this long period of, of feeling like death, like a part of me and a part of my identity and letting go of all these identities I had kind of collected as we all do over time. You know, oh, I'm I'm the smart guy who can start up a software company just out of the blue. I'm like, you know, the guy who has nice things and a nice apartment. Now I'm like sleeping on the floor of the van with camping stuff. Um, and so there was definitely this process of trying to intentionally recognize those identities, these things I'd been holding on to that felt like me but weren't providing weren't giving me the happiness that I was hoping for that I was seeking or the joy is probably a better word 
and letting those go and feeling like I was dying. And fortunately, I, when I was talking to the therapist, we're talking about this, what she, she intuited and, and she had to take a moment to, to, to follow that, follow, you know, her vision of me and my future and see if it was an actual death as in, I would not come back in this body. I would come back as something else or I was coming back into this body. And fortunately she said, you know, yeah, there is a death here, but it's death of not your physical body. You're coming back as, as you know, what the world sees as you and you'll carry forward. And so you're now into this rebirth. You know, one of the examples uh, that is different is I'm really, I'm interested more in experiences rather than, you know, I guess a good example of this is, I guess it's with relationships where, you know, I'd meet someone and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be my life partner. Uh, and therefore, I'm not going to explore whatever connection there is romantically with that person. Because I would be like, oh, well, I'm like, I want a life partner. And, you know, here's the qualities I see in that person that either do or do not fit that. And I would often kind of not pursue relationships where um, where I could project into that future, whether that future may or may not come true. And instead, I've been saying, hey, like, I feel connected to this person. Yeah, I can notice, I notice things. There's differences here that probably won't work out in the long run. But, you know, why live for the future when today here in this moment, I feel connected to this person and, and curious about exploring that. It's interesting what you're doing because this hashtag van life thing, you could say it's a sort of a bit of a counterculture type of thing, but at the same time, you're still very much within the culture of your own country and the unique environment that it is right now or any given moment in time. Do you go that far? Do you try to, are you trying to remove yourself in a way from the culture as well or, or just kind of adopt a new culture, this subculture of, of van lifers, or, or what are your thoughts around culture? So I wouldn't say I'm trying to remove myself, because I, I don't think that's possible, really. I think we are always and forever will be connected to, you know, culture and the world at large. But where I do think we have power, we do have control or choice, is that uh, we can choose whether to to adopt those uh, ideas or not. And, and we do that through awareness. And so, for example, one of the things that in van life that is, is it's definitely a process for me is, so when I was in Boulder, you know, there's a lot of time you're spending just random spots and, you know, on a random road, hopefully it's quiet. And there's a part of you that feels like you have to hide because it's not legal to do that in Boulder technically and but if you're like keeping a low profile no one really bothers you and then you know there's the stigma that still persists and and for a lot of people where yeah people living out of their car they're homeless and there's definitely parts of parts of the countries and well there's somewhat of an example of this people a lot of people think it's cool they understand what van life is and kind of why you'd want to do it but there's also parts of the country yeah, people will look at you as if you're homeless or like, you know. The, and one of the things I've been trying to work on is try not to apply that stigma, essentially the cultural 
cultural viewpoint on myself that, oh, I, I, just because I'm living on a van, like there's something wrong with me or that I'm less than. You know, we're designed as social beings. And so we're highly tuned to either perceived or actual threats to our identity in a group, right? We want to be viewed in a positive light and we are wired to desire that. And so whenever there's social kind of friction, that is, that is the same experience of physical pain in our, to our brain. It's an incredibly difficult and incredibly powerful influence. And this is the kind of where it's a spiritual practice to recognize that I'm having these thoughts, that I feel at times less than because I'm just like on the side of a random road and like people walk by and I have the door open. You know, can I change that experience and to say, hey, like I'm proud of what I'm doing. I'm doing I'm I'm trying to seek this kind of life for a lot of reasons that they don't need to know, but that I know in my heart, I know in myself and I can be proud, you know, um, and and I can then have an opportunity to change that that relationship, you know, how I view myself and how I interact with other people. Because when you're living like a normal house life, go to job, you know, you're interacting with the same people a lot of the time. You know, you have a few new people here and there. But when you're traveling, you know, that ratio of of interacting with people who you know versus people you don't know is flipped, right? Almost everyone you're interacting with at this point is new. Each one of those moments, it's kind of like, practice makes perfect right you get to like hone this this experience of oh i'm interacting with someone who do i want to be now in this moment and you don't have that history you don't have that kind of titanic slow turning barge of interacting with people you're familiar with so like everyone's new it's a whole new experience you can you can adapt you can change like i want to be more um upbeat or i want to be more authentic you you have more chances to practice stepping into that new that new way of being. It can be like a mini rebirth every time at any every interaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because also when you're home and you're doing your thing, like you said, you're seeing the same people and everything like that. It can be more routine oriented, so it's easier to autopilot things and maybe not be as aware. Well, even though you have the opportunity to be as aware in, in interactions, but there's no questions here. This is just life. And it's, it's really unbelievably fascinating how much, how many layers there is to it. And I think it really speaks to the value of change, you know, and when our life is very consistent, we build habits and habits are very powerful, whether they're good for us or not. And, and that's kind of, and I think that's the beauty of travel, right? Is that you're in this moment of change of so much change, especially if you're abroad and, and not in your country of origin, then everything is new and you become so much more receptive to, you know, the experience you're not, because when our, our brains are trying to be efficient, right? Like that's what, that's what stereotyping is. That's, we're just trying to take this massive amount of data and try to make it a little bit easier on our brains and therefore use less energy so that we can survive longer, right? That's what our brains are doing all the time. The, the amount that we see, right, the, the amount that gets from our visual field 
to into our brain is such a tiny percentage of what is it's actually receiving and that can be efficient but yet also it is it is chunking bunches of data that it decides is not important and when you travel you start to see all of it you start to be engaged with the sights and smells and culture and language in a way that you can you can just skate through when you're in your home country um, and living your normal life so I think that's a big part of travel is that it kind of forces you into that moment of here is life. I'm experiencing my senses and culture and language in a way that you, you don't get to in, in your own place. I want to get into some practical stuff now. Who do you think this is not right for? You painted the lifestyle pretty well and the reality of it, but I just want to hear maybe a little bit more about that. <laughs> I think it would be challenging for people who have trouble with uncertainty. And that's all of us to a certain extent. Um, But the more that you can embrace uncertainty and be able to adapt to, you know, the situation, I think the better, the the more van life will um, be pleasant. Or if you want to learn that skill, just do it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) If you're uncomfortable with uncertainty, then you should do this. That's right. Yeah. It'll be a painful, but maybe very valuable learning. <laughs> I mean, it's still like, it's still a painful thing for me in, in some ways. So my diet in terms of my health is very specific. You know, in Boulder, there's like 10 whole foods and like five sprouts. I'm exaggerating, but you know, there's all the health food stores you'd ever want in Boulder. Boulder is only eight miles across. And, uh, and then you get to a place like Wyoming and there's not a whole foods in the state and you'll barely find any health food stores. And so you're like at Walmart's and Albertsons and you're like, all right, I want to find organic frozen veggies. Can I find that? And you don't always find it. And it's still like learning to adapt and, you know, take what you get is an important skill in family. You did this in two months. You said your turnaround was about two months, which is insanely fast, I think. Do you have any tips for being efficient with getting rid of your stuff that quickly? <laughs> did you did you do anything <laughs> specific that worked really well, practically speaking? I hired help. <laughs> so I hired uh, this girl, Diana Rose, that I know, to essentially like keep me on track. She she would help with some taking pictures of stuff to post on Craigslist and you know and and deal with a little bit of that. But it was mostly like, all right, Jeff, here's this pile of papers. Like, go through this, decide what you need to keep and what you can toss, and go. Like, she wouldn't set a timeline, but there was always that like you know a bit of a a, a driver in that sense. Accountability. Of, right, Jeff, like, we just need to keep moving. Yeah, we need that accountability. She was there. You know, she's helping me like pull stuff out. All right, well, here's what I can do. I can post this, take pictures of this, but here's what I need you to do. And it really allowed me to have that accountability and that kind of persistence of motion as well as off- offloading some of the more simpler tasks so that I can just decide what I need to keep, which is, a, I mean, I don't know if anyone else is out there has done this listening to this, but it's a difficult process to get rid of your stuff. Um, far more emotional than than you would think. Yeah, in what way for you? 
I don't know, going through all your stuff and, and deciding what to keep and get rid of, it's a, you're, you're kind of going through memory lane, you know, you're having all this nostalgia. Oh, like, you know, the couch that I had, it was just like an Ikea couch, but I spent months, you know, trolling Craigslist and then I acquired another couch, but then I sold that couch and then got like, it, is, it just go, it takes you down through all these, the history you've had with that object and then deciding to let it go, you know, let go of your attachment to that effort or, you know, what you loved about this thing. Cause yeah, it's letting go of your identity, right? Letting go of, of all your clothes. I got rid of all my clothes, you know, clothes are part of how you choose to represent yourself. And then you have all this new clothes now and now you're like a different person. Yeah. Each object, I guess, brings its own unique challenges to get rid of. I mean, some of them are just whatever, but do you have any tips for getting to that letting go stage? I think it's in the line with this idea of exploring humanity and and lar- in this larger context of getting comfortable with discomfort the, and, and recognizing that it will pass, you know, that yeah, you might feel lost. There might be this grieving process of your stuff or your identity. Um, I think being aware of uh, that it's not just stuff that that you're getting rid of um, is an important one because then you can recognize, oh, yeah, like it is just a pen, but I got this pen from such and such and it reminds me of this moment, you know the difficulty isn't in getting rid of the stuff generally it's in getting rid of your associations with it and, and having recognition of that and allowing yourself to grieve and be sad and, 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 and feel it, you know, to take it as seriously as a death of uh, identity of a person you thought you were or a person you were for many years allows you to get beyond it. Um, Because yes, it is, difficult and painful to experience that but it does it creates space for rebirth um because if you can process it then you're not holding on to that yeah sometimes it is holding on physically like you're like i can't get rid of this thing because this t-shirt's awesome (laughs) i'm not getting rid of this t-shirt like yeah (laughs) this girl told me i looked hot in this t-shirt one time like i can't get rid of this fucking t-shirt otherwise i won't be hot anymore you know it's like (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that kind of shit um, um, yeah if you can allow yourself to grieve man, it, it allows you to move forward quicker yeah that's great and it sounds like just asking yourself the right questions right like what is the thing that is holding me back from getting rid of this thing what is the real reason why I'm having a hard time letting go of this thing and digging down to the root of that and figuring out what that is can certainly be helpful and hey if you look hot in the shirt keep the shirt you know, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> um, you can get other shirts that you look hot in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there will always be other shirts that you look hot in. Don't worry. Uh, costs for this lifestyle, getting it started. I, are you still earning your income from the software company? You outsourced everything. And is that your main source of income? No. So I, I took a couple more months of salary as I transitioned into van life, but then I decided to not continue that um, because I wasn't really putting a lot of effort into the company. So I felt ethically it was right for me not to continue to take an income. 
and, and this goes back to kind of societal expectations. Uh, and, and so there's a certain amount of hesitancy I have in revealing this, but I'm mostly currently being supported by my parents. Uh, and as a 35 year old male, there's definitely like a, like a, oh, right you know feeling to that so i even in the similar vein um i was on medicaid before and i even then recent more recently decided to see about food stamps about food assistance this was also a kind of a mind fuck where i you know as a as a as a person of liberal leaning i believe in social support for people who are struggling, especially people who are struggling with illness. I believe that's something that we as, as, as a nation um, should do. I think that is, you know, a compassionate thing to do because illness is generally not the fault of the person. And yet I wouldn't put myself into that category for a long time. So I, I don't have disability, mostly because an illness like mine is so poorly recognized um, that it's difficult to get disability on it, but I also don't think of myself as disabled. And and yet, though, then this is kind of like the rebirth. Like, oh well, the reality of my experience is, yeah, I am mostly home homebound and partially bedbound. I am the person that the social support should be for. Right. Like, if you have to wake up and spend days on end where you can't move or do anything, that's a problem for you to earn a living. That's a problem. <laughs> and this is kind of the the I'm trying to encapsulate this is the post that I'm working on right now is this how do we how do we conceptualize yes I'm a person that's chronically ill and there are many days where I have like you know the best the success of the day is that I've eaten once you know not even showered I won't even shower for days on end and recognizing yeah that's pretty debilitated and yet at the same time you know, there are moments where my mind operates in a way that others can't. And then in the, even in my physical body, I can do this thing called the press handstand. So I can go from sitting on my knees and rotate and push up into a handstand. I can do this whether I'm sick or I mean, I've only been sick, but I can do this no matter how sick I am. And it's this kind of physical feat that most people can't ever achieve in their entire lives. And so it's how do I like, how do I take these two truths that don't necessarily conflict with each other, but feel like they are? Um, and, and so anyway, so it's this process of like, oh, yeah, if I do believe in social support for people who need it, I think I, I, I should apply that to my, even though it's a hit to, you know, my ego or my sense of manhood or, you know. Um, or sense of autonomy in a sense. Um, so yeah, long answer. <laughs> the short of it being, um, I still make a little bit of money with the company. I'm not taking a salary, um, and I'm still trying to figure that out. I know there are a lot of options when it comes to getting the van and figuring out what's right for you and all that type of stuff. Do you have any advice for anybody? that's your home. That's the place that you're spending most of your time. Do you have any resources or just advice around selecting a vehicle? I guess there's, there's more variety than you would think. It's a large part cost. And so like a Sprinter, for example, four by four Sprinters in the $66,000 range, which was out of my budget, 
a, a two-wheel drive sprinter is, I think, in the forty-five or fifty thousand range. I think fifty thousand. It's new, um, and so that you know that knocks those. And then a Pro Master new is somewhere between twenty-eight and thirty-six thousand dollars new, which is not so bad. And then there's the Ford Transit. These are all the vans that are tall enough that you can stand up in. And then there's the whole like older van. You you have a Ford E350. So I think it's really trying to know yourself. So for example, I have a friend, she's living full-time now out of an Astro van, which is kind of a short in length and short in height van. She can't stand up. But she has a full-size bed in there, and you, you just, you're either in bed or you're kind of just like in the small area where you have your dresser. can't really cook in there too easily, and people do that full-time and can be happy with it. For me, I wanted a little bit more space. I, I knew this was going to be full-time, um, and financially, the way I was comparing it was I was at the end in Boulder, I was paying $2,000 a month in rent. And now I'm paying like five sixty and a month in car payment, and so in that sense, you know, it's much it's much less expensive um, than living in the city in that aspect of it. And then there's like four wheel drive, two wheel drive. Depends on how far, like where do you want to go. There's a lot of a lot of, of considerations. Do you plan on going outside of the states? Yeah. I'm not sure how far. I mean, so I, I very intentionally got a new passport so I can go to Canada and, and Mexico. I was going to go to Baja, but then it just started to get a little warm. So maybe I'll go there um, during the winter. I still have some hesitancy around that. I haven't traveled abroad uh, too much solo. And I joined the overlanding kind of Facebook group. And so it's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable known at least but yeah i would like to on that note do you have you felt unsafe or have you heard some stories or i I know that's obviously a big concern for a lot of people hey i'm just going to be out there sleeping in this van in random places am i going to be okay (laughs) i have felt safe um, pretty much this entire time there's definitely moments i think it's my own fear like so you know hearing a guy yesterday and putting up what I was I was thinking in my head was probably a no camping sign and turned out to be one was, you know, like, oh, like someone's going to knock on my door and I'm going to have this kind of moment of conflict of like him asking me to leave or something. That wasn't so much a fear of my safety. It was more just like a no, like a, a wanting to avoid conflict. And so there's moments like that where you know, you're camping illegally, technically, um, and you, you know, it's just not wanting to be hassled. So there's this, this concept in van, van living called stealthiness. And so some people aim for a van that looks as nondescript as possible so that it doesn't look like someone's living out of it. And so some people will, won't put any windows on. Um, they try to hide, you know, any solar panels or vents on the roof. And and they keep it looking like a work van because that's what these vans are these vans are traditionally for for work vehicles. And then some people go in the opposite direction, right? They paint their Westphalia lime green and you know, they're like there's no way to not know that someone's living out of that vehicle. Um 
I now have a motorcycle on the back. So I think that kind of reduces my stealthiness um, a fair bit because what work van has a motorcycle on the back. Um, I've thought, I've thought about putting up a sign on the side of the van that motorcycle repair and therefore then it, then the motorcycle has a reason to be there. Um, this is one of the things I posted about recently is, you know, our generation grew up with this idea of stranger danger and don't talk to people, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strange men specifically. And even more so don't talk to strange men that live in white vans. Um, of which I now am a white man, I'm a man in a white van. And, um, you know, I'm like, I'm a good man in a white van. Um, but the, I've had so many positive experiences with strangers. I think, and there's been, I've listened to podcasts about it, right? We're safer now than we have ever been. And yet we have more fear about our children um, than, than also than it's ever been. And they're kind of disconnected from reality. And the consequence being is we're creating children with phobias that uh, this rate of phobia that, um, that we've never seen before because we're so afraid of letting children, letting people realize that, you know, people are actually good people. Like they're, they'll look out for you. They will say hi. There might be a little bit of like, Oh yeah, you're a stranger and it's a little bit uncomfortable initially, but like you're all, most people are good people and there's far more of them than that. And so I think that's a, that's one of the cultural kind of ideas that is a, is a consistent, oh, I need to remind myself. Yeah. Strangers are good people um, for the most part. And the question on everybody's mind where do you go number two, man? <laughs> that, <laughs> no. is, that, that is the common question. <laughs> so number two, um, if you're in town, you find a bathroom. So grocery stores are great because you can just kind of go in and out and no one really cares. Um, you know, Starbucks, coffee shops, all those kind of places, gas stations if you have to. Um, and you can do a little bit of washing up in those bathrooms, you know, splash water in your face, um, that kind of thing. If you're out in the wild, you dig a hole, um, if that's ecologically appropriate. And, and that's it. I pee in a bottle now if I don't want to, like, get out, whether it's because there's bugs or it's cold or whatever. Um, some people have... There's two different types of toilets, essentially. There's ones that are more like porta potties that are just kind of, they collect collect it, and then you have to dump it. Or and apparently people don't mind doing that. Um, there's also composting ones that um, sound about the same, I guess. Um, but I guess they might be a little bit better ecologically. And, um, but, yeah. I think for most people, it's just it's just not that d- difficult a thing to find a bathroom, um, or if you're in the woods to dig a hole. Not, that not something to deter you from hashtag van life, right? No, no. Some <laughs> women do have to learn to pee in a bottle, though, and I think that might be a trick. But yeah, yeah well, for guys, it's pretty simple. We can't ask you that question. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I don't have an answer. <laughs> last thing, how how are you finding the community out there? You mentioned you just went to a meetup. 
Is that has that been a big part of your experience? It's the best part of the experience. Let's put it that way. It's not every day. There's a lot of days where I spend by myself um, and just have brief moments of interaction with random people. But uh, depending on where you are, so going to this van life meetup was is a very last minute decision, um, but turned out to be an exceptional one. Almost every one of my favorite moments of being in the van and living van life has been meeting other people on the road. Um, even when I was still in Boulder most recently, I was camping up outside of in the foothills and uh, this, this Astro van, these two women roll up and I kind of wave at them and I'd just taken an outdoor shower. So I was shirtless at the moment, but they waved back. So I thought that was a good sign. And they're in the campsite next to me and I can hear the, you know, I can hear that the two women and I'm like, well, I don't want to be like creepy guy, like, you know, going over like, oh, there's two women there. Um, but so I like give them a moment. I go over and we are having this amazing evening just of conversation, hanging out with each other. And it was a beautiful night. And um, and I've had some of my some of my favorite moments of human connection since uh, starting van life with there's a certain amount of connection with like general population, but, but more so people that are also living um, out of vehicles full time. Because I think there's this camaraderie that there's a lot of the people who are doing this are, are trying to get something out of life. You know, they're seeking an experience out of life um, and generally also seeking this idea, they're exploring this idea of humanity in a way um, that is very similar to mine. And so I've had some of my most amazing moments of, of human connection on the road and, and going to things like the Van Life Meetup is, a, is turned out to be a good uh, way to do that. So far then, thumbs up on Van Life for you? It's thumbs up in, and it's, it's, fullness of humanity <laughs> i am hesitant to say it's like thumbs up like hey it's i understand all great, like, yes all the time. no that's not what you're saying but that's that was within no. the context of this conversation so hopefully nobody skipped right to the end and just didn't hear everything else that we said but uh okay where can everybody find you on instagram because you mentioned the post you're putting out there and the pictures and everything and, and anywhere else you want to mention yeah so on instagram i'm at balance and peace um, one word, B-A-L-A-N-C-E-A-N-D-P-E-A-C-E. I hope I spelled that correctly. Um, yeah, that's where I post my public stuff. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and hear your experiences, or if you have any questions about van life or life, um, <laughs> send them my way. <laughs> yeah, definitely take a look there and find Jeff and follow him. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a single lady out there too, Hey, sounds like <laughs> Jeff is available. I'm not going to be afraid to, uh, to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never yep. know. We got, we got this beautiful, amazing listening community here. So who, who knows? I uh, know. I appreciate you coming on and just sharing all of your experiences over the last uh, months and years actually just leading up to this. And I feel like there is so much to talk about around your trip, but also just, I don't know, just this whole, whole topic of um, 
what travel does when you're using it in some ways as a tool for rebirth and where that can lead. And I mean, we covered a lot of it today, but certainly we could probably have taken one of these topics and probably talked for an hour about, you know, identity, for example. <laughs> but, <Sure. Yeah. laughs> um, but we covered what we could, man. And then, you know, there might be some some grizzlies or cubs coming your way soon. So I don't want to hold you up on the side of the road anymore <laughs> so you can explore this beautiful park. Um, always a pleasure chatting with you. And hopefully I got to come visit you in the van somewhere and maybe we can do this again and do another catch up. That would be great. I'm going to, we'll try to commit to that. Hey, we'll do this. We'll do this in person next time. Every other one, we got to do in person at least, right? So <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, let's do that. At Balance and Peace, we'll get you a van too. <laughs> yes, At Balance and Peace on Instagram. At Balance and Peace on Instagram. <laughs> yes, uh, that van will be mine one day. Will be mine. <laughs> not your van. I'm not going to take your van. Just some other van out there will be mine. I promise. Some other van. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate no the time. Jason, thank take you. care. There you have it, my chat with Jeff. I want to thank him for taking the time out to give a call from out there on the road and share what it's been like for him to make this transition to living that van life and what that all entails and how that's made him feel. And if it's working for him in terms of his healing process and everything like that, so much in that interview. So I want to thank uh, him for taking the time to just share his story. And also quickly, before I get into uh, a listener email, I want to give a shout out and I want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. 10% off any of the backpacks there using the promo code travel just because you're part of the Zero to Travel listening community. You can use the promo code travel and you'll get 10% off anything you order over there just for listening to this show. And you'll also be supporting this show if you decide to pick anything up. Like I said, I just got their new set out divide. Uh, which is a sweet little backpack for shorter trips. I use the Tortuga Outbreaker for longer trips. I use their day pack in tandem with that. And I use the day pack almost every day when I work from cafes and everything around Oslo. So I love that these backpacks are a part of my life. And I'm really grateful that they support the podcast. And then I get to share something awesome with you that I know you'll love as well. So zero-to-travel.com slash Tortuga. 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. Don't screw around when you need a backpack. (laughs) Just go to that link and you'll find a backpack for whatever your situation is, whether you're traveling long-term, full-time, or you're just a weekend trip type of person and you need something cool for that. So check them out. Thanks again to them for supporting today's show. Okay, this shout-out goes to Nick. He said, first off, I just want to say how much I love your podcast and how much it has inspired me. I've always felt alone with my strong desire for travel, and I don't know where this stemmed from. On your recent episode with Estella Kuhn, she mentioned that her grandmother's brother was a pilot and would travel and bring back stories. My dad has traveled all over the world for business and would always return and tell me how different the cultural customs were in each place and always have interesting stories to tell. I never even began to think that this could be the reason my desire began and only grew from there. I also feel like I am not in the country I am meant to be living in. This is also due to my travels and experiencing other cultures, which in turn helped me to identify what cultural and social environments best suit my personality. I love every one of your episodes, but I felt the need to finally write you 
and let you know that this one really resonated with me and I appreciate all of your work and your guests. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for the kind words, Nick. And the episode he mentioned there is the one with Estella I did a while back called uh, Holistic Nomading. You can find it in the archives. And if you're new to the community, welcome. Just go into the feed and you can find that. And you can also sign up over at zerototravel.com, by the way, if you haven't joined the online community because we have more good stuff off the podcast to help you travel the world on your terms. And Nick mentioned this realization he had that maybe his dad traveling and coming back with these stories is where his desire to travel comes from. It's interesting when we think about our childhood or growing up and where certain desires or longings or interests might come from. And even as we get older and older, I find that you still have realizations that you can trace back to your childhood. And that's always a mind-blowing thing. But travel is uh, is something that certainly is going to open up your mind to different ways of living. And I think sometimes that can culminate in this feeling of maybe I'm not in the country I should be living in. And if you're listening to this, maybe you've felt that before. Maybe you haven't. I've certainly felt that in the past. And now that I've lived in another country for a while, I don't, I, I've never had that experience before. I mean, I would say if, if you have that feeling, maybe try if you have the ability to and passport-wise and everything, living in another country for a while and just seeing how that sits with you because it can be easy when we travel around to cherry pick customs and things we see and, and sort of idealize them and romanticize them and then come back home and, and, and think of this gorgeous collage of all of these beautiful customs and, and traditional things or whatever that we pull out from our travels through multiple countries and kind of put that into one, you know, ball of goodness and say, Oh, wouldn't that be awesome if I could linger over my meals like I they do in France and take siestas like they do in Spain and slow down the pace of life and be more passionate like the people in Argentina are, are or whatever. We take all these experiences and we come home and then we we might not feel like we're in the right place because we see things that are more appealing ways to live. And it's hard to bring those back into your own home country because the cultural context is different and you can do those things, but it's easy to slip back into what the culture is wherever you are. So there is really no answer to this. It's just an interesting question. But I would just say, if you don't feel like you're in the country you're meant to be living in, then you make it a goal to go live in another country for a period of time and see how that goes. Maybe you will end up living outside of your home country for the rest of your life because life's funny like that. I never knew I was going to be living in Norway. I didn't know I was going to meet a Norwegian girl and get married and have kids and move here. And now I'm living here. Certainly living here has made me realize that we are products of our own countries, but they're just places that we grow up. And it's sort of by default that we end up as products of those countries. And when you take yourself out of that and live in another country, you realize, well, it's just different here because it's different to me, but this is normal to them because this is the way that they grew up. And as you detach from your home country and your identity surrounding that, you realize we're just human beings and all of these cultural things and things that we pick up from where we grew up, 
are are all external to really our true selves and that <laughs> you could place us anywhere and if you take away the identity of your country and everything like that we're all just human and we all do have those same basic needs and desires of you know wanting to be safe and take care of our families and have love in our lives and things like that so it it, it just becomes i think more real when you step outside of your country and detach from from the culture there. And then when you come back, that's a whole weird thing. I've done podcasts on reverse culture shock and things like that, but it's just an interesting idea. So yeah, I just wanted to share that and thank Nick for writing. And if that sounds like you, if you're not sure about living in the country you're living in forever and you haven't lived abroad, find a way to go live abroad and make that one of your goals and then see how you feel. Maybe you'll want to come home. I miss home more than ever now. I always wanted to leave and now I I miss it. But at the same time, I do like my life here. So I don't know. I don't really know if I belong anywhere anymore. <laughs> I belong in this mic chatting with you. What does it mean to belong anyway? Belonging is just a feeling, right? We belong wherever we are right now. That would be the Zen uh, approach. I'm taking the Zen approach. <laughs> wherever you are is where you belong. There you go. I have a quote to leave you with on healing in just a moment. I want to remind people, by the way, if you want to go live in a van or do any of these four-wheeled explorations or just live out on the road, but you still want to earn an income, we do have a community to help you go location independent and connect with others that are doing it. And whether you are living the location independent lifestyle and you're able to earn money from anywhere. You want to start something that really matters to you so you can travel and earn an income while you do that. You can check out our community, locationindie.com, I-N-D-I-E. We actually just finished making a side hustle success guide that we're giving out for free over there that we're going to be adding in. is going to be one of the giveaways. When you sign up for our newsletter, we have a few different giveaways you get. That's just one of them. So sign up over there if you're interested in location independence, having the freedom to work from anywhere, locationindie.com. And of course, as I mentioned, zerototravel.com if you want to catch up on anything off the podcast. Got plenty of content going out there that you can't get on the podcast. You can only get it there. So hop on those two newsletters if you can. It's free to hop on. You can subscribe anytime if you're like, this is whack. I'm tired of these emails. Just unsubscribe. But if you haven't signed up yet, you're going to miss all the cool things we're doing, including free workshops and trainings and hangouts and things like that. In-person meetups. Got an in-person meetup coming up uh, about a month from now in Colorado and Denver. So We'll be sending that out to the email list and any in-person meetups and things like that you find out through the email list. So feel free to sign up over there. Thanks for your time. Okay, let me leave you with this quote from Hubert Humphrey. I think this sums it up well. The greatest healing therapy is friendship and love. It's a nice quote. And you can find that anywhere in the world, right? Whether you're home or abroad, you can find that anywhere. The greatest healing therapy is friendship and in love. Thanks for your time. I'll see you next time. (laughs) Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.